The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. show as we close the week with a song and of course that song and music video are part of our music video series and returning to close out his run here i have from the spark shooter the saturday evening post the graphic policy the jack of all trades the satan master himself troy brownfield Greetings. Greetings. All right. So Abracadabra. It was the lead single from the Steve Miller Band's 12th album of the same name. It also featured the singles Cool Magic, Keeps Me Wondering Why, and Give It Up, which is like, kind of feels like the progression of watching a magic act with those titles. (laughs) Prestige. Yes. Uh, Album reached number three on the Billboard 200, going platinum. It hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, finishing as the ninth top song of the year, 44th for the decade, and 90th all time. Crazy. Not originally released as a single in the U.S., but it blew up uh, all over the rest of the world. Um, Steve Miller actually canceled shows in the U.S. because they weren't playing it here and went to the U.K. And then they had to get him on back over here because, oh, guess what? It got released as a single. So, um, yeah, Troy Abracadabra. Um, Steve Miller's an interesting cat. Um, His uh, family were friends with Les Paul, like guitar god Les Paul and designer Les Paul. And so he um, played for Les Paul when he was like 13 or so played him some stuff. And Les Paul's like, yeah, you might have it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, kind of like that, you know, where you're like, when you hear this, the talent in someone and you don't mm-hmm. want to like oversell them or whatever, but um, pretty soon Steve Miller, like as a teenager was playing with like actual blues legends. He was going to Chicago and was playing and formed his band in 1966. Oof. Just to get Steve Miller Band dates back to 1966, yeah. which is kind of crazy. So they were a really long-term, well-established act. As you said, the 12, Beatles were still together. Beatles were still together. For another three years or so, yeah. And so contemporaries of the Beatles. Um, so Ed Miller in the 70s has a ton of hits that you know. Mm-hmm. Fly Like an Eagle, Radar, yeah, Jungle Love. He's got like all these kinds of stuff that is staples of classic rock radio rock and me take the money and run you know i mean so he flirts with a little bit of quote-unquote 80s sound on this but the song is still extremely miller it's just one of those artistic progression things where you know if you listen to the stones um there's a pocket of 
60s stuff where it's like okay you kind of know which album maybe it's from or you kind of know that like paint it black and street fighting man and sympathy for the devil they're, they're like on a trajectory here right and then in the 70s they start doing a little bit more ballads like they've got some different like funk influences you know um mm-hmm. shattered and whatever i'm she's so cold it's just you know, you, you feel the arcs of it. So this feels like a kind of a natural arc that Steve Miller's on here. Although it doesn't sound like any of those other songs necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's, it's him. And the, uh, the magic theme, you know, the, the way that he uses abracadabra in the hook. I mean, it's kind of shocking that this far into rock, no one had used abracadabra. I'm going to reach out and grab you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Beforehand, which I suppose is what separates the rock and roll hall favors from the rest of the beer mortals as they figure out how to make something simple into something, you know, enduring. And, you know, um, it, it's really kind of an interestingly arranged tune, both mm-hmm. in you know, musically and lyrically, because there's parts of it that are real simple, like that kind of bass hook in the background that doom, 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 doom. Mm-hmm. like as a bass player, you're like, Oh man, I'm glad I got that part. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like super easy. You can just get in the pocket. You don't have to, you know, do a lot with it. Miller does his guitar, you know, so it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty basic on the backside, but you know, up front, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we get too much of the video, I got to say, man, Joan Severance. Joan Severance, yeah. This is a big jump. Uh, yeah. So uh, she's the only female found in the video where I was like, okay, uh, guys, we can do this, but we only know uh, like one hot girl. So let's bring her. That's all we got. Uh, but she, Joan Severance, uh, see no evil, hear no evil, uh, bird nice on a guy. wire no holds barred yeah uh black scorpion uh was a, I, you, you've at least once you see the poster black scorpion you're like that movie um yeah she's recently she's been an american horror story asylum uh yep. she's in csi miami one tree hill she was did a tales from the crypt so uh la law uh she was in the scorpions video for rhythm of love too but yes she's very kind of a cult female icon like there yeah i would go so far as to say that you know she's the hot chick in rhythm of love despite yep. the fact that there's about 40 hot chicks yeah. in that there, there's one. one one of her uh but man i love wise guy unabashedly mm. love the tv show right. wise guy she was in the second major arc um as Susie prophet who is the sister of kevin spacey's mel prophet yeah that's a tremendous villain Mm-hmm. Holy shit, were they good? Like what a what a top flight. I mean, yes, Kevin Spacey. Uh now. Uh but then <laughs> um, you can still appreciate a, the work. Like we know who he is because of it, right? Performance, man. I mean, you don't have Kaiser Soze and everything else without that mm-hmm. run on wise guy. It's it's incredible. And she's amazing. Like she she was the girl from videos before that, and she is tremendous. Like that. I said, she we never, don't have the names of a lot of these on a previous one. Yeah, never like, gets enough yeah. credit. So yeah, so it's it's awesome that she's you know you're like, wait a minute, that's Joan Severance, <laughs> and at the time you wouldn't have known her. This was just a job mm-hmm. for her. She's just a 
working actress and model and they're like you want to be in a steve miller band video it's like yeah sure. yeah previously like there was one um i believe before this yeah before this video we did um the go-go's vacation and i had cynthia rhodes in it before cynthia rhodes and swayze's in there too um but yeah cynthia rhodes just like whoa wow cynthia rhodes before she got she got staying alive from that video and then we had talked about richard marks in the previous episode so there's yeah. this long long-term wife that now ex-wife but yeah and she was uh, the second female lead singer of animotion as well which mm. is crazy but yeah uh, then um steve miller band yeah. so yeah this this video like it's got a lot of magic stuff but for me like when i was i was watching it um i it had the equivalent of Hey, I just got this new video editing software. Can you guys just come over and shoot some stuff so I can mess around with it? Yeah, like it's got some, it's got some stuff on point with the lyrics, but yeah, a lot's random. But yeah, I just want to mess with my new software, guys. Can we shoot some stuff? Because it is old video tech that I, there, there's a fondness nostalgia for it, but I'm sure it was like, ooh, cool back then, yeah. but now it's just. It became the public access hit a couple buttons and you have the effect thing, but I'm sure people worked really hard back in '82. Yeah, they, they had to cut the film by hand. Yeah, um, there was there was no looping or anything like that. But um, one of the, one of the funny things you mentioned is you know that effect that's frequently used in '80s videos of like the mask with this you know superimposed image that like yeah. the mask is something else. But they use the black like the the vaguely S and M black road warrior masks oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> in this video but yes. also recur in uh self-control by laura brannigan you know it's right. like a whole like underclass of videos that use those fucking it's masks. the one part of this video that doesn't connect to anything else you're like <laughs> yeah. that that was a choice all right yeah it's like they just had them laying around yeah like there's somebody because there are a couple of videos that were deliberately made to look like the road warrior as well and not not uh we don't need another hero which was a deliberate Road Warrior video. Right. <laughs> but, you know, those masks pop up in a few videos here and there over mm-hmm. the years. They're, they're, like they're in somebody's box of props. <laughs> yeah. Like, they might as well use the masks. But there's a legit guy to tux doing magic tricks. Yeah. Like the, you know, tossing the flames and doing the stuff with the cards and everything. Yeah. And Steve Miller, he wasn't available to shoot this. So his stuff uh, is via uh, a series of photos and things like that. Because he was uh he was in Europe, of course, because they loved this yeah. song in Europe. Uh, yeah. Thing. Um. It, for the uh. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, I was I would say um, it was directed by Peter Kahn, who did George Clinton's Atomic Dog and Blame It on the Boogie for the Jacksons. He did a special effects for TLC's Waterfalls and nice. video sequences seen in the movie RoboCop. But the wow. our star here though is. Brian Greenberg, who shot this. So this guy's career, he was the se- assistant second unit camera on Paul Schrader's Hardcore. <coughs> Holy shit. He, 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 he <laughs> that's dr- the masks. That's yes, the masks. that's right, yes. He, uh, you know what? Yes, we just figured that out. Uh, he directed uh, Little Red Corvette for Prince. He operated camera on Thriller and Moonwalker. And he was the visuals. He's... He's visual effects supervisor on uh, Last Man on Earth, uh, the the uh, show with Will Forte, uh, Glow, 
and Orange is the New Black. And then he's been the he was the DP on Atomic Dog, so he shot with um, this director before, um, and the director of photography on Farrah Fawcett, All of Me for Playboy. Wow! So yeah, this guy's got a no <clears throat> consistency in his work, but I love it. Like he's got some like oh cool cool like um, that sounds fun. I'll do that. That's <laughs> that's right. guided aesthetic. I love seeing these like dives I do of these people that I could find that worked on videos. I'm like, oh wow, he was on the set for this. Cool, yeah. Like, yeah, I, w- I was going to uh, tell a Steve Miller band anecdote for for younger viewers that may not be aware of Steve Miller. You might have heard of him just a few years ago when they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm. and he was very displeased <laughs> with the with the process. Turns out that. Um, that you have to pay the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for your seats and stuff. And oh, the seats are thousands of dollars. So if you wanted his longtime band members with him, they had to shell out like 10 grand. And then if you wanted kids and grandkids, it was all this money. And, and he was kind of incensed by that. And he also wanted Elton John, who was a longtime friend of his, mm-hmm. to induct him. And instead, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in some misguided bid to draw 10,000 extra viewers, uh, decided to have the Black Keys induct him, and they oh. were because they were fans, and but he he had no idea who they were, which is kind of funny oh, because my. you know that's not his that's not where he comes from that's not his generation right, right? And, and and he's was kind of you know mind boggled that that so like they didn't like they didn't get along with him he didn't get along with them but then after the induction he went to the press room and he just erupted the whole process and everything and it, it was it's it's awesome oh it's really kind of awesome but it's was uh the the redemption arc for uh me and steve miller because i gotta tell you the other steve oh okay miller, okay my my freshman year in college um i had a class with a girl i'd gone to high school with who i i knew but didn't know well um she'd been a cheerleader and uh you know good looking popular and everything um first day of this uh class we had she sat next to me because we knew each other and everything and so um we went on like a pseudo lunch date one time we were talking about music and i said (laughs) that i felt like uh, she asked me who i thought was overrated they said i think the most overrated popular musician of all time is steve miller and she said without missing a beat in all honesty she's like Steve Miller's my favorite. Ah, <laughs> uh, of course. Of course. Was, you know, at that point, it's like, I kind of wanted to just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to shake your hand right now because that's awesome. I got to leave with this story. Um, <laughs> but no, nah, so it was it was funny as shit. Oh, and, gosh. Uh, but so, yeah, that's like, that's one of my pervasive memories of Steve Miller that I've had my entire life. Was like, oh, oh, that's perfect. Well, I also had a... Um, my other Steve Miller memory, third anecdote, uh, when they were playing in the prom for my senior year of high school, I was mm-hmm. like on student senate. And so the, the idea of using jungle love as the theme came up, <laughs> but all of the people enslaved to classic rock wanted the actual jungle love song played to be Steve Miller's jungle love. And I'm like, more stay in the time. Time. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. And so they they uh they voted that it would be the Steve Miller band version mm. of 
jungle love, but the the punchline is that the uh, DJ turned out to be a friend of mine, so we played the other one anyway. So. Oh, there you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah, but yeah, man, it's the the Steve Miller thing is like, you know, there is not a radio station in America that plays album oriented rock that has not played Steve Miller today. <laughs> oh yeah. That's <laughs> like no matter where you are, what day of the year it is, Steve Miller's getting played somewhere on some rock radio. You station. could probably like within your drive home find it on some yeah. station. Yeah. I heard uh, uh rocking me like two days ago. You know, just turn on the radio, it's like right rocking me. I'm like, all right. Yep. <laughs> Goddamn Brandon making me listen to Abracadabra. There you go. Reach out and grab you. For some reason, Abracadabra to me is is also contextualized a little differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is kind of his last major hit, but it it sits for me as an 80s song. Yeah. In as much as the 80s have no real genre, um, you know, it, it sits to me more like an 80s song than anything in the rest of kind of his catalog right and i mean the video that goes with it is very an only in the 80s type video as well as like still like in that we're still figuring out this whole music video thing like we have no idea what we're doing but hopefully you were entertained for four minutes well you know what's funny about that is i mean this is you know 82 Mm -hmm. and uh billy jean is a very low tech video Mm -hmm. if you look at the arc of michael jackson's thriller videos which he didn't even make a video for every single Mm-mm. nope um, pyt didn't at, have a video I yeah don't think. if you yeah. look yeah if, uh, if you look at the arc of the human nature doesn't have one does it or is it, i can't remember. no it's just i think beat it thriller and billy jean, billy jean. Yeah. So, yeah so you have billy jean and then beat it and then thriller and the production value escalates with each one but mm-hmm. billy jean is not that far above the abracadabra production right value I mean, well, look at the videos for off the wall too, like rock with you. Yeah. yeah. Rock with you looks like he's legit at a karaoke bar. I mean, yeah, (laughs) no, that's what it is. Yeah. He's got the green screen. Like, yeah, it is 100% karaoke. It's that don't stop. You get enough, right? The same thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, and it's it's funny too because that that's probably baffling to some people. The idea that not every single got a video. Yeah, yeah, is that's yeah, that, even, that is the thing. there are radio just radio singles that never or promotional singles too that aren't even well they're not even singles they're promotional songs or something like that that doesn't get a thing. I'm yeah, Billy Beat It and Billy Jean were the only videos from Thriller. Uh, but it had like a jill- it had seven singles because P.O.I.T. Yeah. Human Nature want to be starting something, and Girl Is Mine. Girl Is Mine was released as a single before Billy Jean. Shit, that was the lead yeah, single from Thriller. That Jesus. is th- that is definitely um, memory trickery. Mm-hmm. You know because I heard that whole album so many times, but my impression. You know, until we first started talking about this like a year ago or something, was the fact that um, it had the singles in a completely different order. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you heard Thriller so much that you heard all the songs all at the same time and you kind of lost the thread of when they came out. It wasn't like, you know, freaking 
never mind where it's like very definitely smells like teen spirit was the first single <laughs> right but you know or it, it, it's it landed in a completely different <clears throat> way mm-hmm. and similarly to uh when purple rain came out contiguous with the film like you kind of heard everything yeah but there was an actual release order for the stuff that you've probably forgotten what the release order <laughs> right is because you know, you're growing up at the time it's like it all kind of runs together because you listen to those albums and you know you you the all killer no filler thing was definitely in play on a mm-hmm. number of the big albums of that era like they were they, they were not leaving a whole lot on the table <laughs> yeah yeah As, I'm- I mean, there's uh, you think of those albums that have like half or more of like a get to the radio. It's crazy. Like they can keep trucking them out, and the album keeps up. Like, doesn't everybody have this already? Yeah, uh, I didn't I mean, like, like the first six songs, but that seventh one made me want to buy the rest of those. Okay, yeah, like uh, you know, um, she's so unusual by Cyndi Lauper, mm-hmm. and like a Virgin by Madonna each had five or six. Yeah, the, so half those uh, albums. Yeah, Jagged Little Pill by okay. Atlantis, but with half of that single. Born in the USA. Yeah, yeah. Where these He's got a sh- the dark glory and that had videos for almost everything. Yeah, it's it's an incredible number of stuff. Well, the the, the legend. I mean, it's not really legend; it's true. Mm-hmm. When uh, Def Leppard entered the studio to make Hysteria, and Mutt Lang came in. You know, Mutt Lang had produced Pyromania, and you know they mm-hmm. used to work with him. But he came in, and he's like, "We're going to make a heavy metal thriller." And they're like, "What?" He's like, "We're going to have seven hit singles." Oh, this album and they're like you're fucking crazy <laughs> and, and they did they had seven singles off of that album and it sold bazillion right <laughs> yeah, but but that stuff you know it, it, it's weird to think of of an album now making that many impressions like they're hits because they drop them digitally so like drake drops an right. album and then like all 12 songs chart because of the way that the digital is configured, mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing. Right. You know, so it is kind of tied to the video release. So like, you know, not the most recent album, but the album before the weekend does blinding lights and drops the blinding lights video. And that becomes like ostensibly the lead single, even though mm-hmm. they're all out at the same time. Right. Yeah. It's really weird how they in the streaming era, how they, they pull that off, but, and calculate, yeah. I'm not too, nowadays into it i used to I mean i remember getting cds and they come out and be like i wonder what they're gonna make videos for for all these next like right they, they'd put the sticker on and be like featuring this this and this but that wouldn't guarantee that and that were singles like it was just like we're looking at that right now but it might yeah, not be at the end of the day that would uh you you very rarely have the uh effect now of uh well djs don't get to pick the songs that they play mm-hmm and you don't have songs that develop in an area like uh, I think it was uh, Pittsburgh, maybe that working man by rush broke out as a single on the Pittsburgh radio station. And they would used to physically report the songs that you're playing. You write them in the little sound scan book or they not sound scan, but Arbitron uh, mm-hmm. you'd write them in the Arbitron book. It would go back and they'd be like, Oh man, Pittsburgh played Working Man by Rush like all these times. I wonder if Cleveland will also like Working Man because they're a working town. You know, let's right. add it to these radio stations, you know, and it would like organically take many months. So if you guys in the audience who, who don't recall this stuff, uh, 
or weren't born yet, you go look at some of these 80s charts and everything. The build of these songs frequently took months to get to it. You know, you had a couple of instances in the late 70s where an album would debut at number one, like Stevie Wonder in the middle of his Magic Five. You know, he had albums debut at number one because the expectation was so, oh, this is going to be awesome, just like the other stuff. Or Elton John would debut at number one with an album. Songs debuting at number one was not a regular thing. Um, It happened, but it wasn't regular. What would happen much more likely is the song would come out and it would build up over the whole summer or whatever. And then maybe it would hit (laughs) number one or else it might go to number one in like four weeks and stay there for like two months. And then drop like a rock with like people. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. This there, there are definitely, there are chart records for biggest drops and some of them are insane. Just the amount of time. Like we're out. <laughs> yep, I hit number. Yeah, well, we had uh, at the beginning of the series. There was a uh, Vangelis, the uh, theme from Chariots of Fire, hit number right. one. Which we're talking about. Like, <clears throat> when does pieces of score hit pop radio and charted like and hit number one? But that one starts at number one, and it's out of the ten by like another couple weeks, like two weeks later, it's gone. I, w- I would love to see some kind of stat on because that was still like there. We're in that transition from that AM gold era to FM. Mm-hmm. stuff and i wonder how much of the easy listening stations actually had an impact on vangelis yeah. getting to right. it, it is weird what an aberration yeah just like other crazy shit like the theme from hill street blues being a hit single. yeah <laughs> right it's i mean this isn't like i'll be there for you from friends in the 90s which is just a pop song that they use for a show charting by a band by a band that had pop hits like just a couple yeah. years before right yeah you know? I, um what while we're at Abercadabra, I've got a, a weird site. So Sugar Ray, they had a pretty solid cover of this on fourteen fifty nine. And when I so I I bought fourteen fifty nine the day it came out. I was pretty severely disappointed with the album, but I liked the Abercadabra cover. I grew into it because Sugar Ray changed their sound for that album completely. They went all in on okay people liked fly we need to make fly songs i i saw they had the, the previous album was floored and was that the one with mean machine on it or was that too <clears throat> that, that was lemonade and brownies okay so i i i fly was around i didn't really care for that song or whatever it's it catchy whatever and i saw but i saw the album cover at the store and i'm like that's the i'm like I took a chance. I'm like, I was a metal head, but you know, I was just like listening to like anything heavy. And I like, I took a chance. I picked it up. I'm like, they, I bet they don't sound like that. I bet that's like their one thing. And holy shit. I was, it was, it was heavy metal, like punk stuff. I love that. I, I converted all my friends. We bought lemonade, went back to lemonade brownies. It was like punk rock city. We were like, this band's really cool. Then they like, uh, was it Sunday morning? Was that the first? Yeah. We're like they're There's doing it again, or, or every yeah. morning, every morning, <clears throat> every morning. They're like they're doing it again, they're doing it again, and we got it. It was like Abracadabra was the heaviest song on the thing, and I was like, that, yeah. And I, I going back, I'm like, I kind of like what they, they added hip hop to their sort of like they they made they became their own thing again. Like they found their own sound that wasn't really present in a lot of bands there, and managed to run with it 
and did well with that. But I was, as a guy who was into heavy shit and liking that, they let me down right there at the time. Yeah. But they did have a sweet cover of Abracadabra. I think one thing that's kind of uh, weirdly interesting is, um, you know, of the... 80s bands that stuck around mm-hmm. they have a evolution they they have an evolutionary arc that they kind of follow mm-hmm. but they weren't so dramatically different album to album mm-hmm. that they became off-putting and i think that there were some other bands that went so crazily different <laughs> from one yeah. to another that it sometimes lost people yeah or or there's also this added side effect that there was just so much new stuff all mm-hmm. the time. There's a truly staggering amount of music that's released in the eighties. Yeah. Like week to week there's 1987. I always talk about 1987 as one of the greatest album years of all time, you know, go through and look at the stuff that's coming out week after week after week. And it is astounding. So you know, the stranglehold that some of these songs and some of these bands have for you know weeks at a time starts to get much shorter because it's just so fiercely competitive. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people make it really good music. And uh, some of it's weird in context to look back and see some of the music that was happening at the same time. <laughs> like <laughs> it's Document, all happening by at once. Document by REM and Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. That's the same year, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. I'm gonna that's, last, and then I'm gonna like destroy the industry by getting a huge contract we can't live up to. That's right. We're gonna spend that whole time working on an album. Yep. Oh, but oh gosh, that is that is interesting. Um, but yeah, that um, that's Abercadabra and a lot of other side chats that I like. They're gonna stay in. I hope. To Brandon who edits this uh, and <laughs> that'll do it for this week Troy and for your stint here on the Summer of 82 at 40 thank you so much for hopping on for all these music video episodes bring your expertise I always love talking about it with you because the conversations are great even if they're on topic off topic they're still interesting in the wheelhouse of nostalgic and music which is the Summer of 82 at 40 what it is so um, before we head on out let people know where they can keep up with you the uh, conversational derailing is part of my roguish charm. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you, you can find me at uh, Saturday Evening Post, uh, SaturdayEveningPost.com, and also at Troy Brownfield on Twitter, and then uh, the various Troy Brownfield Spark Shooter pages on the Facebook, as my mother would say. Um, so thank you, Brent. Yeah, no problem. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brent4KUHD. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back for, I believe, the final week of the summer of 82 at 40. That is... That's the final countdown. It is. And we got two bunk movies to talk about that's like, ugh. But, folks, uh, there's a Patreon account. Uh, I don't know where it's headed at. This is April, as Troy and I are talking. I had a goal uh, that if you get that, that first goal, then it won't end next week. Scott and I would return to finish out with Porky's and the Sword and the Sorcerer. So hopefully you hit that goal (laughs) and we're going to record that episode. But I don't know at this time. So appreciate that. But it might be the end of it next week. So uh, come back Monday. More fun. Until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. 
The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.